Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Well, thanks for being here, and um, just a few things before we get started is really uh, my vision for this was, if you remember, some of you, I look out, maybe some of you might not be um, of the age to have joined the meeting last year at this time, but I was here only about six months last year at this point. And um, I decided to meet with everyone uh, in the more seasoned category of life uh, because I just didn't have as much access to you. The the 55-plus group hadn't been meeting yet. It was a quick after mass, and I wanted a chance to tell some stories and hear from you and meet you, and it was a great time. The place was packed. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. We went through tons of coffee and donuts, and uh, it was a great time. So I thought, let's do it again, because I'd love to see everyone. And then I thought, you know what we probably should do is probably have just some sort of conversations about the parish life during the pandemic, <coughs> excuse me, during the pandemic, as I cough, that'll be nice on the recording, huh? Parish life during the pandemic, and then uh, parish life in whatever, whatever you call this now. Are we still in it? Aren't we? I don't know what to call it anymore. I don't think the news does either, but whatever we're in now as we go forward. So... We put it out there, and I thought, well, I should probably invite the whole age groups of the parish if everyone wants to have a dialogue with me. And so that's how we get it. And then the winter months and things, but uh, I'm glad we all could be here together this morning. Pretty much, we're going to follow, if you imagine, uh, the mysteries of the rosary. We're not going to pray them, but we're going to follow them. So we're going to have St. Basil's Joyful Mysteries. I'm going to tell you about things we've done over the last few years, especially compared to some surrounding parishes. We're going to do some sorrowful mysteries, which is just where the church is at, some vague numbers, but basically where we're at, diocesan-wide and then parish-wide due to the pandemic and things, and then some glorious mysteries, some things we already have planned for the next few months. So that's what I plan to do. At, At the end of each three, after I present a little bit, I'm just going to be here, and I have a microphone here, and if you have questions, we're going to give you the microphone, not because we can't hear each other, but because it's being recorded, so people who wanted to hear this but couldn't get out of their house, or people who want to hear this and just are in Florida at another house that they have that they didn't invite you or I to, uh, they can still hear the podcast and feel like they were part of the parish life, right? So. Uh, that's what we're. That's what how today is going to look. And then at the end, uh, I would just like to uh, have a, a nice prayer time together. One of the things I'd like us to increase is anytime any group gathers at St. Basil's, there should be a significant pausing before God, so that we're really fostering that encounter and not just checking things off the to-do list. So let's just do a little prayer at the beginning for God to guide us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Sabbath day, the day of rest, the day of recreation, where through contemplation and community and prayer and the sacraments, you recreate us from the inside out, reminding us we belong to your Father and to one another. Bless this parish, we beg you, Lord. Pour out so many graces that we're in awe work signs, wonders, and miracles among us so that we would not just get flattened by just being busy, but rather with the awe of children, be excited by what God is doing in our midst. Through the intercession of Mary, Joseph, and all the angels and saints, we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with some of the joyful mysteries, shall we? First thing you need to know about the joyful mysteries in the rosary are they aren't perfect conditions, and yet it's joyful, right? So if you think about it, you don't want a 14-year-old uneducated girl to be the one you're going to trust all of salvation to, right? Not normally a good idea, all right? Plus, especially in the first century in the Middle East. So the circumstances are never perfect, and yet the joy is still there because God's at work. Likewise, a sword is going to pierce your heart. That's the fourth joyful mystery. The fifth one is they lose Jesus, then they find him. So these aren't perfect circumstances, and yet because God is at work in the world, there's joy. Similar for us, right? We've had a pandemic. It predates me by about six or seven months. March 17th, 18th, that's my birthday, that's why I remember it so well. We went into quarantine time. Coming out of quarantine, uh, the parish was meeting in the gym for one mass, and then it was two masses in the gym. Then in that July, you moved back to the church, and August 4th, I arrived. So what I want to do is just tell you from the times of right around that time until now, just some of the beautiful things we've been uh, up to and able to do as a staff and a parish. And as I look out, largely because many of you here kept saying yes to helping or being a part of things. So one of the great ones was right around the time I arrived, Erin Hogan was brought on board as our youth minister. Uh, she is a gem. Not only is she pleasant and joyful to work with, she's hardworking and organized. We are the only youth ministry program in the Diocese of Cleveland that met every week last year. No other program met, and we did. We met every Sunday, and we had a mini retreat in the fall and the spring to honor all the needs and demands of the state and whatnot, but we were still able to meet, and to date, we have no indication that any gathering or meeting was the cause or spread of anything called COVID, right? So they took temperatures, they had masks, they were safe, and as things change, we change, and things change back, we change back, but we were able to gather every single youth that we could, and our numbers were pretty big. We, I think the lowest night was 60. So in this room, every Sunday, every week, Aaron Hogan had things going on for the youth. From there, it even continued because then we added a service component last spring. We started going to St. Augustine's Hunger Center on occasions on a Saturday morning to help out serving the, uh, those who are homeless, coming in right off the streets, making a meal, serving it to them, things like that. Uh, Aaron has also continued the Wednesday night oratories with the teens where they go deeper. They don't just talk and joy and games, but they're reflecting deeply on things of our faith, major writings. And at this point, two young men who've gone through the program here have filled out applications for Borromeo Seminary in the fall, and they're thinking they might be called to priesthood. So two guys from this parish. So yeah, it's quite, quite the amazing thing. So that's just one of the joyful mysteries, right? In the midst of all this, you have two guys saying, I think I want to do this, and uh, they're going to go for it. It's a really beautiful thing, uh, and the parents are supportive, and it's, it's really an, an honor to watch Erin Hogan, because I knew her for a couple years ahead of time where she was youth minister before I got here, and, uh, and it's just she's, to see her blossom into a wonderful female minister in the church been quite a gift. The other one is to celebrate some... Uh, some uh, greatness of Robin Youngs, who's here, right? We all know Robin, right? She's great. She, without her, you wouldn't have coffee right now. So, um, 
But uh, Robin has been really active, all right, pivoting back and forth the best she can. So some of the things she was able to do is bring back Sandwich Saturday. But at first, we didn't know how to bring it back. So what she did is make it at home, and we'll be out front and come drop it off. So people were dropping off. They are making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for those in need, dropping it off, and then she was making sure it was still getting down to Father, Father Doug Brown's parish so that those in need could get it. Once we could meet, we met. And then it got scary again, so we thought, let's go back into community. Then it was, but the ministry didn't stop, right? Those in need, we still stepped up as a parish and met them, and it was absolutely amazing, headed and organized by Robin. That relationship, as you know, has been going on for a while, right? That is the relationship of St. Basil's with Mary, Queen of Peace, uh, with Father Doug Brown. Mainly Sandwich Saturdays, but what you don't, might not know is several of our men have gone down there and been helping with a meal, and so Robin said, let's reach out to Father Doug. Uh, during this time, we know his parish is really struggling. A big number of his parishioners on Sundays drive 25, 30 minutes to go to his parish. So they're not really day in and day out volunteering. They're just going for the particular style of worship, which is really beautiful. So we knew he needed help. He was incredibly humble and receptive. We had a lunch meeting, Robin and I, and Father Doug, and we've really kind of stepped up that relationship. So we've helped out with Easter baskets last year. The youth group made Easter baskets. They were brought and given to kids who at the school might not have an Easter basket. But then the extras were given to the Cleveland police force. So as they're driving around town and they see kids in unpleasant situations, they will step out, build goodwill, and give them an Easter basket funded by our parish and the help of our youth group. That was one great thing. Christmas gifts this past year we were able to help out. More food pantries, after-school tutoring, and it continues to grow. It's going to fall into the glorious mysteries in a little bit, that parish. But it's to show you that through Robin's dialogue, Father Doug's uh, humility, and all of your service, we continue to deepen our relationship and strength within a parish that's in an area that has a lot of need. And so once again, the parish is helping Whatever you do for my least of my brothers and sisters, you do it for me. We're honoring Christ by taking care of Mary, Queen of Peace, the best we're able to. In addition, one of the great parishioners, Kathy Saba, all of you know her with her team, they continue to help at St. Catherine's Pantry. We just had the food collection today that continues to go strong. That really didn't stop at all. I mean, that continued from day one. We didn't pause, pivot, change. That just drop it off, we'll get it there. Drop it off, we'll get it there. Um, I still haven't even been there, all right, because I know it's such a small area. I've asked them three or four times. We tried twice, didn't work. The fourth time, I think we said, all right, we just got to maybe jump a few months out to plan it. But I've met and talked to Kathy and many of her team, and it is such an organized, uh, well-run machine, but getting a lot of people food that they need. So those are some of those joyful ones. What's another one? Well, he's right there in the back, Tommy Dome, the director of evangelization, all right? Tommy Dome, uh, without him, you would not have the live stream masses that you had. Now, he had a team of two wonderful guys, Mike and Miles, helping him out. But uh, it was he stayed on during the quarantine time to make sure you could watch it from home and feel connected. And then when I got here, uh, they put a bill on my desk. It was one of the first things they did. I said, well, I don't know if I like this position. Um, but they put a bill, they said, we need to put live stream cameras in the church because Mike and Miles are using their own equipment just out of being good to the parish. We need to actually purchase this and make sure we can offer a high caliber live stream mass. So I said, well, let's go for it. 
uh, checked with parish council and everyone. They said, they all wanted it. I said, well, great. Sounds good. So now we have that with Tommy and one of the other gentlemen trained to change the cameras and maneuver them during mass. It's such at a high caliber. I get letters and emails from people all over the country who have never been to Brexville, Ohio. But, you know, you watch one mass on YouTube, they begin to recommend others. So they started watching ours. They liked our music. They liked our cameras. They, they said, we watch you now. At Christmas time, we even got a check from a woman from Delaware. All right. So reaching out to the larger community. Once again, it's a real mark of what I've learned from all of you here at St. Basil's is we're all blessed with all sorts of ways, time, talent, treasure. And as we make sure that the things we offer are high caliber, high quality events of meeting Jesus, other people want to be a part of it or they're grateful we're able to offer it. Tommy's also stepped up his podcast uh, experience. Now, many of you here still don't click on podcasts or watch them. There's no judgments. It's fine. But it's just to say that we have about 300 downloads a week. Is that correct, Tommy? Okay, 4,000 a month of people listening to our podcast. So think about that, right? So divide that into a four, right? That's 1,000 a week. We couldn't house that anywhere. So it, although it's a new way of thinking, digital ministry, it's not always the easiest or best. It's hard to communicate without a body. You need a heart, a smile, a tone of voice. Nonetheless, the gospel, our parish, different members from our parish, people are learning from them, hearing from them. Right now, he has several things going on with faith and science. How do they go together? He's had, my homilies are always up there. We've also had so many other interviews, and it's also on our YouTube channel. So you can watch them live now, or not live, but you can watch the recording and see these things happening. Tommy Dome has also helped me last night with Robin's help. We had our first ever trivia night, 120 people in this room doing trivia Many people uh, I had never met before, so I got to meet them, which was great. We had laughter, good community time in the middle of the cold winter months. One of the things Tommy and Robin did combined again is last year, if you remember around Valentine's Day, we did a uh, couples night in the rectory where we had some couples come in. I talked a little about marriage. We had some giveaways. We had over a hundred some couples watching that. Some of them was at Louisiana or Mississippi. They had no affiliation. They saw it on our website or Facebook or something, and they signed up. And so uh, it was a great time to once again get into people's homes with the gospel, remind them about church and God, and you're going to learn why that's even more important when we talk about the sorrowful mysteries. Some of the other joyful mysteries, as you remember, I'm still not the pastor, but we had to do a, a capital campaign for the diocese called Heart of the Shepherd. And you all were incredibly generous. Our goal was 1.1 million, which I thought, okay, well, we'll see how that goes. We raised $1.9 million as a parish, which means we're going to be able to keep here for our project around $1 million to help update the church to make it beautiful for upcoming generations. So that pledge just showed how much people are still invested and want St. Basil's to go forward. Definitely a joyful mystery. Another one last year, and it's coming up in a few weeks, Catholic Charities. Although all throughout the diocese, less donors, here at St. Basil the Great, we were still the number one in donations for Catholic Charities last year, which does the majority of reaching out to people in need throughout the diocese. Again, a joyful mystery. Here's what I'm learning, is you can always dream up 
a better parish. You can always dream up a better priest. A priest can always fantasize about a different group of people. We can always fantasize, right? Think about spouses. You always fantasize, well, my husband maybe did more of this, or maybe my wife did this, or looked like this, or whatever. We can always fantasize about things that are never real. We really grow in gratitude when we look around, right? Not to compare it who's better, but to see what the blessings we have. The surrounding parishes, right? Just this past week, one of the surrounding parishes put on Facebook, and I don't say this to dismay or disparage, but just he put it on Facebook so it's public. He said, we will finally allow back lectors at mass because we deem it safe. Just this coming week. We've been having lectors at mass for almost 18 months, actually almost two years, right? So we were getting back to a normal experience of church and faith. That parish is still struggling to even see lectors. Now we're trying to bring back uh, altar servers, but uh, uh, there's just not enough kids being uh, committing to it. So it's not that we don't want it back, but just to let you know that, so that parish is barely even starting up. One of the other parishes doesn't have any meeting space big enough to offer options where, you know, we can spread out. We get 80 people in this room. You can still spread out if people are uncomfortable. They don't even have the option to do that. They can meet with maybe five people at a time. So they haven't been able to offer any adult ed. Their live stream mass is still an iPad plugged in on a little stand, and they're trying to zoom in and zoom out with fingers, and hopefully the microphone connection works, Right. It's not, they're not bad or awful. They're doing the best they can, which is all God ever asks. But we've been so blessed to be able to do so many awesome things like this. Also, we were able to bring back in the church adoration. Right? We finally brought that back. We moved it to the chapel. More people are coming. And we're actively at right now, we've called a bunch of people. And we're just actively now getting more names to be able to open it to more days. That's one of those fantasy things, right? I'll get a phone call and someone says, I, I think there should be more adoration. You should do more adoration. It's like, yeah, no, what priest in the right mind thinks there should be less adoration? But we have to make sure we have the people there to adore the Eucharist, and that's been a struggle. So we're actively pursuing that, getting more and more names so we can offer more days and more times. So um, the other person I want to talk about is uh, Deacon Dave. Deacon Dave came back in September before the pandemic kicked in in March, right? And he came back, and one of the things he felt called by God to move back from Tennessee was to be a part of St. Basil's and to continue to be a deacon. This guy, if I can be 70 and move as half as he is, I'd be happy. He's in his 80s and is amazing, right? He's like, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. So he did an alpha last year, wildly successful. About 40 people went through and never gone for it before. Some of them weren't even Catholic, weren't even maybe baptized as infants in a Christian faith, but weren't really interested. But at this point, we're asking questions. He brought them on board, right? He began to talk to them. They heard the gospel for the first time. And then Jen Ricard and I, Jen runs a ministry called T-O-B-C-L-E out of the Annex. We had, uh, I think it was 190 people journey with us for six weeks as we dived into the gospel, our desires, how God created us. And it was an intense six weeks. Some people were upset, angry, frustrated, hurt, not by us, but by just getting in touch with their humanity of what they've been through, not just during these times, but in their lifetime and realizing Jesus wanted to go into these places with kindness, grace, and encouragement. And it was really beautiful. Uh, It was a great, great journey there as well. 
Marianne Webb said she had uh, she offered grief shares. She said one of her favorite grief shares was this pastime. Ten women in her. She said just everyone was at the same age, at the same spot, really needed each other. It was wildly beautiful. So we continued to offer grief share for people. All this is to say, the parish here has not been through a pandemic. <laughs> in that, in many ways, the parish here is alive and active, and I'm very grateful for it. I'm very excited to see it. I'm so happy the staff I inherited. They're unbelievable. Uh, they work hard. They are dedicated. They want to try new things. They're not stagnant. They are not doing cookie-cutter ministry. They're constantly looking at, all right, what ministry can we stop to start this one, or how can we combine them? What do we need to tweak to meet the new needs? They're always asking great questions. Marriage prep. Uh, Robin just trained six more couples to help out with marriage preparation. Um, Pre-Cana days almost already sold out for us coming up in February. It, this parish is alive. It's amazing, and it's I mean, I'm only one person, so I get no credit. The staff existed before me. It's just really, really remarkable. Our finance council, the head of finance council is here right now. Ron, good to see you. Thanks. Uh, Ron is our head of finance council. Our finance council, uh, you can imagine these times being tricky. They have put accurate budgets together. They've met monthly. Uh, they've had retreat days to make sure that we are on target. What do we need to tweak? More? Less? What are our plans going forward? They ask questions and get answers that I don't even know to ask. So they are so helpful to me as they advise me and guide me and recommend things. And then our parish council, old, young, man, woman, super participants, people who haven't been involved in a while, giving great advice on, what about this? Can we try this? How about more of this? Just really getting the temperature of the parish to make sure that we aren't falling into one camp or the other, but continue to invite everyone in different walks of life, to meet Jesus and to follow the Catholic way of life. So it's been really, really beautiful. So I want to pause after all those joyful mysteries and answer any questions you may have or any comments you may want to share. I want to take about five minutes, and uh, Robin's going to run around with the microphone, uh, and I just want to be able to answer anything you may... Uh... Robin's also stayed in great shape to run around, so we're, that's a joyful mystery as well. <laughs> so anyone have any questions, comments? Uh, about the joyful mysteries at this point. Anyone? I'll just say thank you so much to you, Father Ryan, and the whole staff. It's been amazing. So I, I don't know how often you get thanked for things, but thank you. Very kind. Thank you. Um, one of the things I wanted to say was Tommy and the staff before I got here put an onboarding process in. So if you're going to be a new parishioner, you can sign up online and then it's like, a bunch of things. And we've had over, I think, Tommy, at this point in my 18 months, well over 300 new families. Yeah, I mean, over 300 new families have joined in 18 months. Now, like any, any church, right? Getting them involved and have them practicing their faith, that takes grace, not just an email back. But it is to say enough people have seen this as important enough in their lives to take the time to be affiliated with it. And, uh, and it's just, we asked them one of the questions we added would, why did you choose St. Basil's? And there's all sorts of reasons, as you can imagine. Um, one of them, but the number one mentioned is you, the community. That is like one of the most frequently ones mentioned. So it's you going out of your way after mass to shake someone's hand. You saying, I don't know that we've ever met. I'm so-and-so, who are you? That does more for people than Father Ryan preached really well or Father Ryan's a heretic or Nancy sings really well or Nancy didn't sing that well, but she always sings nicely, her and stuff. But anyway, you know, th they mentioned you. 
your community. And so those little gestures, smiling, moving over, I know we like the aisle seat, but moving into the center and say, why don't you, why don't you take this here? Those self-sacrificial ways bear fruit. And they say, if this kind of community, if this is the result of worshiping here, becoming this kind of people, I want that. And so they sign up. So all of you, it's really, it's just really been a great thing. Yes. What else? Father, one more question. Yes. Um, this pandemic, um, you know, situation going on for two years, and what's the message God wants to give to us through this pandemic? Is it like God is in control, like rely on me alone, you know, than getting, yeah. pan, pan, you know, like panic about the situation? That's a great question. So the question, just in case you didn't hear it through the mic to the speakers, is what might God's message be through this pandemic? Um, well, I would say it's joyful, sorrowful, and glorious. It's probably all the mysteries and luminous, right? So there's all these things. I think the answer is very is personal for every person. And I don't mean in the sense of private. There also may be some private messages you're receiving too, but personal in the sense of each person has had an experience with it. One of the things I've learned is everyone's experience is incredibly particular. So my good friends, and I have some priest friends in New York City, their way of speaking about and thinking about COVID, the church, et cetera, is wildly different than my friends here in Cleveland. But it's the same virus, we're the same church in America, and we're, the same, we're all made of the same humanity. Why? Well, because the culture around them had a very different experience of it. So I've learned a lot about, man, having to ask questions, what's your experience been of this? Because it could be very different than mine. If you had a family or loved one who happened to uh, die suddenly from it, you know, because we have those outliers, right? There's the normal people over 90 some percent are fine if they get it. But then some people who have pre-existing conditions, they're more likely to have an issue with it. And then once in a while, there's a strange outlier. Well, if you're the family of the strange outlier, my gosh, that, I mean, that affects you much differently than someone who doesn't know anyone who's passed away from it. So it's to say that I've learned a lot of sensitivity towards people's experience of things, but I imagine God's teaching each of us by name about all of it. One of the things with my homily today was, how do you love people who disagree with you? Right? The truth is, we don't. We're kind of bad at it, but we know we're supposed to. All right? And that's the key, is Jesus, while they were actively murdering him, said, Father, forgive them. Like, he was actively loving us while we were actively rejecting him. So how do we navigate people who disagree, who treat us terribly, who don't like us? Do we just eye for an eye? Well, Jesus clearly is like, no, if you're going to follow me, you got to love your enemies. What's that going to look like and feel like? Why does that always feel like losing? <laughs> is there any winning in this, Jesus? How's that? So these are some important, deeper issues that I think the Lord could be helping us grow through in all of this. Because learning how to love your enemies is the only way we're going to build, oh, I almost quoted a president, build back better. Uh, how about that? I'll say that one. And then I'll also say we want to make Basil's great again. There, I said both, okay? So there, we did it. We did both, okay? Everyone should be okay now. Um, but it's just to say, that's the way we're going to heal the nations. We'll go with that one. Uh, so yeah, I think we have a question over here. Oh, right. Yep. Um, I, I recently met um, a person on the, that does the, is it the ground maintenance? His name is Brian. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And is, is that what he does? I'm just wanted to, maybe you wanted to expound on that or something, because I met him while he was doing some cleanup and parish work. 
Oh, thanks, Albin. I, I, I can't believe that's to, that was my mistake. We hired a new head of maintenance, Ron Mooring, who had been the head of maintenance uh, for about 11 or 14 years. Uh, he finally retired from here. His full-time job was PNC Bank, and he's working on retiring from there now, too. It's a step-down process for him and his wife. But he retired, and we did a job search, and we got down, and we hired Brian Baum. He's the head of maintenance and facilities here, full-time. He is straight from the Lord. He is amazing. Great guy, works hard. Robin laughs with him every day in staff meetings. Uh, he's competent. He's servant-oriented, and he's just going from building to building right now, learning, fixing, cleaning, organizing before we start some major projects with him. But that was one of the number one needs we had when I came on board was how do we get our maintenance department to really take care of the gifts that we have here in the building? So uh, Brian Balm is his name. He's a full-time, so you'll see him here a lot. And uh, he's very kind and he's very, very helpful. He's a real gift to us. So I'm glad we got him on the team. Where? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when you talked to me at the parish picnic about him? Yeah, I know you. Yeah, this is right here. Yeah, okay, 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 good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. He's a, he came from his mom's amazing. Uh, she raised a great son. He's very holy. Uh, yeah, she, she used to pray constantly with her. He's a great guy. Great guy. Sean. Um, I've been in the parish since 1979. And at that time, there were a lot more Methodists in town than Catholics. And we had five masses, and all the masses seemed to be pretty full. And I, I look now, I mean, we've significantly increased the amount of folks in this parish, but I don't see as many people in the masses. I mean, is this, I mean, I can understand COVID, but it just, it, it, I don't understand it. I didn't know if you understood it, because I know once a year, the ushers do take a head count in church. Yeah, that's a great point. So I'm going to use this question to move us to some sorrowful mysteries and kind of expound upon that. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, good. So the October count 10 years ago in 2011 was about 3,000 people were here on a weekend to worship. October count this past year was 1,500. So that's half the amount of people in 10 years coming on a Sunday to worship. Now that is right along trends that you can read any report nationwide, anything. It is right along the trends. Uh, just slowly, less and less people. And you probably don't read the reports that I do, right? Because I'm a priest. Um, but like, you know, you've heard priests say about it all the time. Less and less people coming to mass. We got to get people. Or think about kids or grandkids. Or think about how many friends you know just haven't been back to Mass yet. Like, you put those three categories, and that's where you got. Now, that was already trending in that way, right, before a pandemic. So one of the sorrowful mysteries is the church closed for about six or seven weeks. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Uh, and bishops are frail just like any of us. They make mistakes, and judgments of a bishop are not infallible. All right, so they, can, they are right to be, you can question them, you can research them, but we have to question and research them with Christian charity. That's our responsibility. But we do not have to bow our heads and say, well, that's the bishop, we can never ask questions. No, they're a human being just like all of us, we can ask questions, but out of respect and charity, right? So closing for seven weeks, and then no obligation for a whole nother year after that, people got out of the practice. I don't know about you, but... Uh, Four months ago, I was working out three days a week down the street, and I was, I was getting pretty ripped, I'll be honest, all right? And uh, 
I was I couldn't wait for the summer months. I thought, boy, this going for another six months. That might be good for me. Uh, uh, and then it, it's now been about five weeks since I've been back to the gym. <laughs> right? You get out of the practice, and it's hard to start back up. Right? It's really hard. So, I mean, that's part of it. Part of it is there's, and I talked about this in the uh, Fill These Hearts program with Jen Ricard, is that the way different generations speak about faith doesn't always translate to the next generation. So, for example... I'm not judging things as I look around the room, but I'll look down at the ground. Some people here may be of the age uh, where you just did it. Why are you even asking questions? You just go to church. You're Catholic. That's what we do. Well, <laughs> it's, it's not working. I mean, we can just, the numbers are in. That approach doesn't work. Well, they should. Well, should, must, ought, those categories uh, neither Generation X nor Millennials operate out of those very well. Right? Should, must, ought, have to? No, I don't. They, don't. they don't operate very well for that. Older generations, some of the question might have been, which church are you going to go to? You're Irish, you go here. You're Polish, you go here. You're German, you go here. You're Italian, you go over there. Right? Now the generations, the question now is, is God real? Do I have to be Catholic? Aren't all religions the same? You see, the questions are a lot more foundational. There's a lot more at stake. But when a young person gets these questions answered in a meaningful way, when I say they're all in, I mean they are on fire and bold all in in a way that you can't imagine because there's something deeper at stake. All right? So here's an example, right? Uh, who is Jesus? Well, he's God. Okay, well, to a young person, like, all right, so what? How's that even changed my life? Why, why do I care? Well, he's your savior. From what? I'm just trying to get a job. Like, what's he saving me from? What's all this? What are you talking about saving all the time? Well, you could go to hell. I don't know if I believe in it. Well, now what? Now we just blink at each other. So how do you translate the message of the gospel that God came to save you so you could be with him for, like, all of eternity with immense joy and bliss. How do you take that message and translate it? That's kind of the task we're at right now, is translating the church's message. It's the same insight. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How we talk about Jesus may need to change. Here's some more sorrowful numbers. Isn't that nice? All right. But they're sorrowful mysteries, remember. Like the sadness we feel over people not receiving the Eucharist, going to confession, reading their Bible, praying, working on repentance, that, that grief is Jesus' grief. He's sharing that with you. He feels the same ache, actually more. He wants them even more than we do. Your kids, grandkids, friends. He wants them healed and in love with him more than you and I even do. So it's a form of prayer. So it is a sorrowful mystery. But uh, here's another one is, uh, let me get these numbers right. There were 1,400 names last Christmas of donors here. All right, so envelopes, last names, checks, things like this. We're 840 this year. Now, what's the difference? Well, partially, uh, you had a gigantic snowstorm, if you remember. Or not, so that was last year. This year, uh, the COVID numbers were through the roof. Omicron, everyone was worried about Omicron this year. So our numbers were down. They were down everywhere. I talked to the four largest pa parishes. We're at number three. I talked to the other pastors of the other big parishes. 
down as you could imagine. Here's the amazing thing. Even though the numbers were down, those of you who came and gave, breaking even, just what we budgeted, just what we thought we would based on past years. So the ones who didn't come, so a couple different things happened. Some people gave more, which was wonderful to help our mission stay strong and accomplish all the things that we do in the joyful mysteries. If you wonder what does the basket accomplish, joyful mysteries. Think of that, okay? So people giving was great. The other thing is that means people who didn't show up, they really weren't, they may be Christmas and Easter type Catholics. They might not be as committed to the parish or as sacrificial with their time, talent, or money. But nonetheless, that's still a big number of people that dropped. So what's happening? It's all the isms that you ever hear about. So secularism, atheism, individualism, materialism. I mean, all these isms just sounded like big ideas 20 years ago. And guess what? Now you're seeing the practical import of them is, oh, kids don't really care. No one wants to be committed. No one wants to get out of their comfy king-size bed in their beautiful home that they have in Brexfield, dress nice and go to church for an hour, right? It's just like they, they don't want to do it. Are they bad, awful, gross? No, they're probably more so than that. They just don't even know. Well, what, what does that do for me? Why would I go? I can watch Joel Olstein on TV. He's kind of nice. He holds up a Bible. Like, what's the difference? Right before the pandemic began, and Tommy Dome is, I would venture to call him an expert on these things, but I think he wouldn't like the title. But he knows almost all the studies that are going on, right? So right before the uh, quarantine portion of the pandemic, there was a study done that said, of the people that go to Mass on Sundays, which itself is about 20% of Catholics, of the people that go, about 20% of them believe in the Eucharist as the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So, I mean, so, it, it, first off, it raises a lot of questions for me, right? Because uh, most places do not have our music ministry. So you're not going to believe in the Eucharist and you're going to listen to that, the other music? I don't, that's, a, that's amazing to me. Second, us priests, we aren't always giving the most dynamic, practical, and helpful homilies. And you're going to wake up on a Sunday morning listening to the music you don't like, a homily that doesn't help you, and you don't believe in the Eucharist. That's pretty remarkable in some ways, okay? But in addition, let's you know, the people who are coming aren't really committed or convicted. Convicted is a better word on, is this actually the blood of Jesus and the love and power of Christ in a physical way entering into my life? They're like, eh. 80% are like, eh. So you do that and you put mass online. Guess what happens now? Oh, we can just watch it. Whether I get the Eucharist or not, is there a big difference? Now, of course, I, we have issues with all these things. We could teach all these things, but you don't want to get upset. These are the sorrowful mysteries. The first thing you want to do is just recognize this is the real place we're at. So if these are the needs of our people, if these are the people who are starving, if these are the people who are bleeding, if you will, spiritually, well, then as a parish going forward, we're going to have to tweak some of our ministries to make sure we're reaching the people who are most in need and really being able to way to communicate effectively that the fullness of life you're looking for is only found in friendship with Jesus Christ. So those are some of the things that every priest, every parish, every church council, every staff throughout the world are talking about. What does this look like? How are we going to pivot? What are we going to do? And you can go online and see all the articles written about the million different things about, try this, do this. Here's 10 things to do post-pandemic. Here's 15 ways to get people back to your church. I mean, you can make a million dollars if you want to write a book, go for it. You'll probably sell a lot. Uh, 
But there's going to be no answer outside of two things for sure. Personal holiness and prayer. And if I say holy, if you're thinking moral perfection, all right, that's not what I mean. I mean a growing vulnerability with God. Giving him time every day alone to speak to you and to talk to you through his scriptures, through silence. That growing reality and those who do go to the church will increase the likelihood of when people meet you, they're going to meet someone who's different. And that difference you're going to be able to say is, well, I pray. It's Jesus. Well, I'd love for you to know him. Right? So these are the sorrowful mysteries. And I want to pause again and activate Robin uh, to ask any questions, comments, observations, things like that. Got run in the back right there. Um, Father, uh, first of all, I'd like to just say that we've been here, this is our 18th year, yes. and we are grieving for the people that we don't see anymore, grieving very much for friends. You know, you meet people, but you don't know where they live. You meet every Sunday and talk, and we physically are grieving for those people. And there are others that we've talked to that say they'll never come back to church. <laughs> I don't know why. You know, I have no I mean, I think our church just continues to improve and improve. The liturgies and the music in this parish, we have never experienced anywhere else. They're, they're wonderful. They're, and all the teaching, everything. I, I just don't know. My question out there is, we are going through some horrendous health problems in our family, and I know that other people are too. Where do people go when there's no answer? Where, where do you think they're looking? Um, if they're not looking to God, who, who are they looking for to to help them through the times when there's no answers. I mean, why are so many people not finding what they need to get through life? That's basically my question. What do you think? I mean... Well, I mean, I don't have any... I'm certainly no expert on these things, uh, except I came into the faith in the opposite direction, right? So... I tried a lot of, th we don't, this isn't a public confession, but I tried a lot of things to uh, satisfy the longings of my heart and uh, they just never satisfied. And so by, when I went off to college is when I found my faith, which is the opposite direction, right? Um, but I, there's a three letter word that comes to mind as you say these things, Carol, and it's a uh, meh, M-E-H. And I think it's the dis disposition of most college students. You're like, how's life? Meh. What do you what do you want to do? What do you want to do when you get out of college? Do you have any big dreams or plans? Nah, we'll see. And see, what it really is, it's not even a faith issue yet. It's actually a humanity issue. Like they're not in touch with what they want yet. Because their hearts are not happy with meh. But they haven't seen another human being alive. When you meet someone who's alive, two things happen. You either resent them or you're you want them. Like, I want what you want, or who are you? Because they push in that same place. They push in the place in you that you've been trying to stuff or you've been hoping is true. So before the, before, almost like the pre-gospel is like letting people know it's okay to want things and to have dreams and desires. And you hear me preach on desire constantly. This is partially one of the reasons. But I, I, I think, I mean, these are the right questions is, meh. I, I think the best gospel we have are men and women who know and love Jesus showing the kindness compassion, and like love of Christ. I just, I mean, in the early church, what brought people to the church was not our clear teachings. It was them saying, look how they love one another. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, telling people I'm praying for you and I love you. And it's like, okay, they may not care that the prayer part, but it becomes a consistent thing.
But yeah, it's this is part of the cloudy, confusing angst that we're trying to engage for sure. Yeah. Another star for mystery. Oh, yeah. Hey, Father, um, you and I have spoken before. So, um, yeah, as far as what you talked about with, you know, the bishop's decision and closing the church, I mean, I never thought it was a good idea, but that's easy for me to Monday morning quarterback. And I think, you know, people are definitely out of rhythm. I myself, you know, getting back into coming to church, you know, you know even though I was always such a faithful Catholic, always coming every week, I, I struggled with it too. You get used to kind of just not going, and it's just sure. like, wow. There's a lot of meet the press, stuff to watch. So, you know, all those kinds of things. But I was thinking about my, you know, the, the young people, because that's, I think, you know, so much of what I see is the casualty of what's gone on um, with this. And, you know, I love what you're doing. And that's not to be like, you know, overly, you know, yay, yay. But it's, it really is good. Like, you know, you're really reaching out because the youth is where it's at. The youth, the young adults, they're going to be, when we're all gone, they're going to be the ones that are going to be here with the church. And I guess, um, I think just can, in my opinion, just continue to push that. The, the Catholic Church is like, it's, it's a different place than other. It's just a very different, um, experience than any kind of Protestant or other type of thing, the rituals, the sacraments. And I think that the more the authenticity that we can show to young people, the better we'll be. I mean, I, I know that like, if you look at the mainline Protestant churches, I mean, they're essentially, right? They're, practically gone. Yeah. And they did that in a large part because they lost whatever differentiator they had. They were trying so hard to appeal to bringing people in. They got desperate that people saw them as, and I think, my own opinion, not very authentic. So I think as long as you can keep exposing young people to the authentic church and what it really holds and the differentiator, including the sacrament of communion, the Eucharist, I think you're, you know that's the right path to take. So I think, you know, keep it up. Well, thanks. Yeah, you know, I we, we have talked and <clears throat> we brought up some good concerns too. And, you know, I've been really, one of my like gratitude things on my gratitude list is the vast majority of parishioners here have been so just kind of flexible with, with all the COVID protocols. Uh, early on, I decided to strike the tone with COVID here that I, I just trust all of you to be adults, Right. And so I was, I was going to operate out of that, and I was going to make sure that through the safety commission, they've helped me immensely, especially early on when we didn't know anything yet. Uh, but it was signs on doors and masks available, but I wasn't going to be a COVID police. I wasn't ordained for that. I just wasn't going to do it. I also wasn't going to be, uh, you know, your dad berating you about what you should be thinking. You're, you know, I will, I will have enough battles with people, I'm sure, in my 50 years here um, to... Uh, over important issues like who is God, Jesus, salvation, scripture, Eucharist, things that to me I'm more of an expert in than to burn those bridges on uh, medical prudential judgments for yourself. So I knew I had to equip, equip an offer, but I knew that was it. I wanted to get, get my dog out of that fight as quick as I could to let all of you make your decisions. And thanks be to God, this is the number, this is what I want people to know is we've been doing mass for two years almost, Right? And it's never been a super spreader. At some point, you got to trust the experience over the news. I mean, at some point, right? It doesn't mean the news is all bad and always wrong, but it also doesn't mean that they know what happens at St. Basil's Brexville, Ohio. So, you know, you mentioned Monday, you know, Monday morning quarterback stuff. You know, I'll get 
I'll get letters sometimes or emails from people who are watching on live stream and they said, I can't come back because it looks unsafe to me. And I let them know, I said, listen, we, you know, if you're uncomfortable and you're nervous, the bishop has offered dispensation for people who are struggling with anxiety, or if you're taking care of people, you yourself are immune compromised. Oh my gosh, we're complete, we're reasonable. We're not mean. We're, we understand that. But on the flip side, it's also true. Well, you're watching on TV and I've been in it for 18 months and we haven't had a problem at the church. So we're doing okay. Right? And so, and that's, I mean, we don't know, it's never been told to us, but we don't know of a parish where they gathered on a Sunday and that became a super spreader event. And so I just want to keep offering that is just, you have to make your own decisions, but to let that juggle around because the amount of hours we watch news and the amount of hours we listen to God, Jesus, and our own experience tends to be lopsided. And so if we can get it the other direction, we probably would be happier, more peaceful, and be a lot more effective. Um, but... Uh, up front, I'm getting a point. Oh, hi, Catherine. Um, so as we were listening to this, and I think we can just get bogged down in the sadness of everyone not being there, and I was just reminded, I don't know if you remember, but about mm, 12 months ago, I came to you with just a struggle I was having in my own professional whatever life, and you said, you can never change people, but Jesus is going to ask you if you pray and fast for them, and it like pierced me because I was like, how many years did I use ministry? And I told kids the same, like, I would be like, we're doing retreat. I'm like, you have to pray and fast. I'd be like, you don't like it, but I just think that was really powerful, and it really helped me through that, and I just, I, it came to me as you were saying it, so I just thought like it was important to share. Yeah, you know, let's let's get super spiritual for a moment, right? There is a devil, and he's real, and Jesus says, some demons can't be cast out by prayer alone, but only by prayer and fasting. And so if there's people in your life you want to get back to church or you want them to meet Jesus, prayer alone might not do it. We might need to fast from something. Food is the first thing in the Bible that always talks about fasting from. We usually try to get creative right away, don't we? We're like, well, I won't fast from food, but maybe I'll give up a, you know. But so food's the first place, but, you know, maybe you're, you know, you have certain health needs or whatever. Maybe if you have three cups of coffee today, you have two. You know, maybe if you normally have, I did this one time, if you normally have salad dressing on your salad, you eat a salad without salad dressing. Guess what? It's gross. <laughs> but it's called fasting. It's not called pleasuring. Uh, so, uh, just, I mean, these are parts of the spiritual tradition for 2,000 years that aren't just ideas. They've worked. You can point to saints and miracles, and they're like, we prayed and fasted. So these are opportunities, ways that, by the way, this group here is about the size that St. Paul was writing to when he wrote his letters. Like when St. Paul's letter to the Romans, this is about how many Romans there were that were Christian at the time. And now go to Rome and ask how many there are. This group prayed, fasted, and took serious their call to holiness. They loved one another abundantly. And guess what? You have a Sistine Chapel now. <laughs> so just kind of think about like, wow, what Jesus can do with our little yes. Pretty beautiful. Yeah, uh, thank you. I wanted to make uh, comments on two things. One, you talked about the Christmas time, and I know just from our personal situation, we didn't come because we were quarantining. <laughs> and, you know, somebody in our family, we all got together a few weeks before, and our whole family got it, except for me, which is interesting because I'm the high-risk one. But you're Superman. Yeah, Superman. Yeah. No, no, no. I've got the compromised immune system and all that stuff, but I've gone through it basically even at the beginning, like, like you kind of said, I've got faith, and if it is, it is, and if it isn't, it isn't. But um, I think from the standpoint of the church itself, and this is with our daughter, our daughters and, and this younger generation, uh, they're seeing other offerings. And one of the things I came from, I, 
I, I've changed over time, and I think some of the generation that's here with me, the experience when you went to church as I was growing up and stuff was very solemn and quiet and those types of things, and that's the way it was. And I kind of preferred that for a while. And so when I saw a youth group or something, it was just, well, that's not really church. And then when you see it in a Catholic church, it's like, wow. And then when you hear people clapping in church, which probably happened maybe 15 to 20 or 30 years ago, was the first time, you know, I was probably 18 before I heard anybody clap in church. And I'm like, wow. That, that's never happened. So there has been transformation in those types of things, but I think what we're up against, and I've talked about this um, through, through with different pastors and things, it's a marketing thing to a degree. You know, you talk about the four principles of marketing. You have to have the product, right? And if your product's bad, you have no chance, no matter how much you price it well or do promotion or you know, distribute it, whether it's via online. So product, I think, hope to God, we're pretty good there. But... The marketing and how we do it, when people come to church, this younger generation sees us, They, the, like my daughter is in, and both of them are, in, and are into the Christian music, as, my, as is my wife. And it took me a while to get there, but that's really good, but that's what they're looking for. So then when you come and I hear some music, at times it's not as far back, but it goes back and it's that, this younger generation comes in there and they hear oh my gosh, that's what grandpa and granddad looked at. And the competition is online. And my, my one daughter does listen to an online church with these very different pastors and they're dressed and this music group that supports them as national and multimillionaires. And, you know, it's the casting crowns are part of this mass, you know, they're part of the youth group and they started out, but they're a massive group now. So that's part of what we are. I think we have the message, but I think sometimes it's the packaging. And as you said, and it was very wise, there is this older generation that's very uncomfortable. I'm part of it, but I've morphed and I accept it and I understand it. And it is a different experience, but that's the challenge we're facing. And I'm glad to hear that we're starting to think about changing that because you can say you've got the best and you can put it there and leave it there, but you have actually have to do that reach out and get people to come along. And if you decide that you're not changing or modifying the message, and I'm sure Jesus walking around didn't go, well, this is my message. And no matter what group I run into, it may be, you know, the prostitutes, it may be the, the Pontius Pilots, it may be whatever. I'm going to tell them all the same thing. It doesn't sell that way. And, and that's the challenge you have, because you can come in and give them, a, a, like your, your speech today was great. Actually, this morning I was reading Fox News, and they were all complaining about somebody that said something. I think it was the lady in New York who was complaining about the, the parade for the police and how horrible that was, and they blocked the streets. And I saw these people, and I wrote, and I said, you know, understand this, but we can't come to where we just silence everybody, and they're not, like you said, not allowed to say that. But that's the type of thing we're up against. We've got people that want to keep that. We have to change the message. We have to market. We have to bring people in. No, I think that's a great point. And, and you know, the church is both things at once, ever ancient and ever new. If you go one side or the other, you're going to fall apart. All right? So if you try to be cutting edge and all new stuff, you've pulled up the roots, you have nothing. But if all you try to do is what you've always done, then you're not going to be able to engage where we are at now. So we're ever ancient and ever new. And you know, it's funny, I know I'm doing a good job if I get criticized from people who want me to be more traditional or want me to be more cutting edge, all about the same thing. Then I'm like, oh, good, I happen to be striking both. Nice, just, nice and fine. So let's do this before the sake of time here. We're almost at our hour mark. I just want to move to the glorious mysteries for us real quick, right? And some of them I mentioned was with Father Doug Brown's place, doubling down on some of the commitment there. But coming up in Lent, we're inviting his parishioners to join us on Monday night evening prayer. 
So they'll come to us for confession, our adoration, our singing, and things like this. And we're going to go to his parish on Friday nights for fish fries and traditional stations of the cross. So we're, they're gonna, we're going to support them with our presence. We're going to support them with our finances, buying their fish fry, and we're going to pray with them. So it's not the wealthy suburb just dishing food down. We're going to go and sit next to you and pray with you. We're going to bow to the same crucifix and say, we need him just like you do, but we're going to pray together. That's going to be our one big move uh, coming up for the glorious mysteries during Lent. Some other things, Deacon Dave starting his Alpha program. If you've never done it, it's worth your time. It kind of shores up and clarifies some of the basic messages that once you get that clear, it becomes so much easier to keep growing, like building a house. Once you have the basement, you can build on top of it. This isn't the whole house. Alpha's not everything, but it gets you the basement. Towards the middle of Lent, maybe just towards the end, Jen Ricard and I are going to begin another uh, book. This one's going to be about the healing power uh, of Christ offered to us through the sacraments. And so it'll be a six-week program again, a morning and evening session. Uh, Aaron Hogan's going to be offering another uh, retreat for our young people. And one of the glorious and joyful mysteries is Mary Meller. Forgot to mention her earlier. She's doing amazing things with PSR. She offers like four or five different types of PSR. So if you can't come for whatever reason, you have an at-home version. There's a mixed hybrid version. There's an in-person version. There's all these different options, but she started a middle school youth ministry. Once a month, we have uh, college age, early 20s, missionaries coming from Columbus, and they put on a dynamic night with the middle schoolers, and they like it so much that their parents told me, they're like, they're like is, that, is that every week? They wanted every, like, no, it's once a month. They're like, oh, they loved it so much. The first one was talking about Jesus is real. The second one is that God speaks to you in prayer. Third one was on adoration. So we're, we're getting these great, uh, glorious mysteries of our middle schoolers once a month, meeting Jesus through young adult missionaries, seeing that. Because one of the things I like is, boy, if they can think of college years differently, even as a middle schooler, oh, I could do something like this when I'm in college. Now they have a whole different trajectory when they go off to college. Right? Another glorious mystery for us is our Catholic Charities Appeals coming up. Why is that a glorious mystery? Because this parish loves those in need. We're so generous. I never gave to Catholic Charities before. I was a priest for six years. First time I gave was when I was here last year. And part of it was like, well, I'm a part of this family now, and this family gives to this, so I need to be a part of it. And it was just like, just seeing how knowledgeable most of you were about Catholic Charities, saying, no, we, when is it? We want to be a part of this. That's coming up. We're meeting with the architectural team to begin the updating of the parish church, right? Because that's going to take a while. It's going to be a several-year project. So we're, we're meeting there to begin first renderings. We have this architectural group I put together from the parish, different ages, different backgrounds. We will meet the first round and get a couple drawings. Then we'll go to parish council. Then we'll go to staff. And then we'll hold like two or three meetings like this where people can look at the designs. The artists will describe what and why. And then we'll all have feedback and opportunity to kind of be a part of the whole process. Then we'll combine and say, after talking to everyone, tweaking things, this is the design we're going to go with. And then it's off to the races with that as well. Uh, Father Matt is bringing 10 people into the Catholic Church this Easter Vigil, which is the largest number for this parish in at least five years. Um, so 10 people are going to be coming Catholic there. Um, Robin, what was some of the other, you're doing something coming up, aren't you? No, Robin just sits down all day. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> There were some other things too I can't think of right now. It's simply to say that 
Uh, the number one point I want you to hear is this, is that the reason people join St. Basil's is not because we're well-organized, we have amazing buildings, the music or the preaching is amazing. The most frequently listed thing is you. And if you're listening to this on podcast, uh, when you're here, that's still you. Or it's you sharing a podcast. Or it's you sharing a YouTube video. Or, but it's you reaching out, taking, having the courage to say, well, if someone's here and worshiping Jesus... They're a brother or sister. I'm going to say hi to them after Mass. I don't know you. just want to introduce myself. So and so, I've been here for five years, 20 years. I just wanted to say, who are you? Well, welcome. It's good, great to meet you. That little touch or seeing people laugh and smile and feeling welcome, going out of your way, that's what people say. They go, boy, if this, if this culture here is this warm and joyful and they worship Jesus, then I want to worship the Jesus they worship because he's, they're pretty amazing. Uh, that's what makes this place great. Has been, always has been, and always will be. Uh, kind of the St. Basil's effect. St. Basil's began in 1960, as you know, supposed to be built at Marks, where Marks is, was really supposed to be, and it started here. Pretty quickly, this building was built, then the church. Right? After the church, buildings started to grow, numbers started to increase. We reached our pinnacle of numbers probably about 10 years ago. That's true in the Catholic churches almost everywhere, right? And we've been descending slowly. Not just anything wrong here, but partially the bigger isms, materialism, atheism. But what do we do about it? What did Jesus always say? Pray and fast, share joy and goodness, forgive your enemies, all right, and keep growing in your faith. It's doable. It's not creative and new, but maybe that's good because it seems to have worked for 2,000 years, so you don't want to mess up with what works. So with that said, I'd love to give you a blessing, and since it's gone so long, I'm just going to give you a simple blessing and ask that you continue to pray for all the staff who I'm so grateful for and all of you. Through the intercession of St. Basil the Great, may God bless each and every one of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm here to talk for a little bit if you need to. Otherwise, God bless and stay warm. Take care. Thanks for being here. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.